Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. Probably going to be a little rusty on this one today. Just got back from a uh, what was intended to be a week in Alaska and ended up being three, as you probably noticed with a couple misbroadcasts there. But um, got, a, got a really good guest for us today, a um, young man named Gus Molin. Gus has been, you probably remember episode one, his father was on, uh, Jack Molin. And Gus has been raised in the industry. Well, you know what? Let's just let him tell the story. Gus, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Really good. Really good. Good. So I guess my story with fishing and boats and uh, this industry has uh, started before I can even remember, actually. I ended up going up with my father and mother, who uh, my father, like Mark said, um, you guys know a little bit of his story. But uh, he was actually not even running a boat at that time. He was the engineer on the Columbia. Uh, at that time, it was a crabber. And uh, he had worked a lot of the year. And they asked him to go tendering as the engineer. And they didn't have another engineer. And he said, well, I'll go. But I'm bringing my wife and my six-month-old son. And so uh, I guess that's where my first boat experience started. Uh, I went up and we were running fish from Prince William Sound down to Ketchikan. And so I crossed the Gulf, uh, I think it was three or four times that summer as a, as a six-month-old. Um, and then from there, I, I stayed home, uh, obviously, growing up with my mom, and my dad kept fishing. And, uh, and then we had, I had two more sisters uh, that were younger than me. And so I think once my mom had three of us at home alone for a lot of the year, she kind of had her hands full. And... I kept talking about wanting to go to Alaska, wanting to go to Alaska, and uh, finally when I was in, I believe I was in third grade, so I'm about nine years old, uh, my dad asked if I, you know, wanted to go for the summer, and I didn't even hesitate and said yes. He said, well, don't get your hopes up yet, you know. Uh, at that time, Trident Seafoods owned the, the Columbia, the boat that my dad was running, and uh, we had to get permission from Chuck, the, the owner. Um, so he, you know, he called Chuck and asked him, said, I got a nine-year-old son that's just dying to go and he said I think that's a great idea and so I ended up going up uh, that summer when I was nine and it was uh, at that point we weren't tendering we were fishing um, we do a, a June 1st Pollock opener so it's all Pollock fishing uh, out of Sandpoint and then we'd go do bee season um, and then later on I, I started going up every summer from then on it was just like what I did I uh, want to go back to that okay. first summer though because okay. Uh, you you were chomping at the bit and wanting to go and asking yeah. to go and asking to go. Now your father tells it a different way. In fact, I when, once I read his book. Yeah. Uh, he said that he pretty much had to take you north. Yeah. Because yeah. you were calling your underwear. What, what were you calling your underwear? <laughs> uh, I was raised by women, my mom, <laughs> and I was calling my underwear panties, or I did once, and that was all it took. Um, yeah. So once that happened, he's like, "You're going to Alaska," which. I, I did want to go, but it was definitely a time. So for, at, at nine years old, what was your first experience? I mean, well, tell us what the boat was doing. But how, how? My first, I actually got, they actually pulled me out of school six weeks early. I didn't even finish third grade. Um, when I found out we were going up, we went up, you know, beginning of May to go do, I can't remember, I, I, we were fishing. Um, we weren't tendering at that point. But uh, yeah, so I, I took off six weeks early from third grade and went up and I'd stay up there all summer till you know mid to later August when I had to come back and go back to school and so um, it was f the best 
childhood you could think of, really. I mean, you're growing up with a, a bunch of guys then. You know, I was, you know, from then on, I was around my two sisters and my mom all summer, every summer before that, um, and the rest of the year. Uh, but, you know, I was, you know, free ran of the boat, and I try to help the guys as much as possible. But uh, what were your duties at nine years old on deck? Well, I, I tried to get duties because I wanted my dad to pay me. And that never really worked out. <laughs> uh, he always said, oh, you know, I'll pay you 10 bucks a day or whatever it was. And I never seemed to see any money. So, um, but, it, you know, I, I learned to sew back then from it, all the guys on the boat were just awesome to me. You know, they, they, they treated me like the captain's son, but they also taught me a ton of stuff. Uh, a lot of different guys through the years, especially when we started tendering. Uh, and we weren't fishing. We had tender crews back then because we would literally tender all summer long and then start bee season, uh, the pollock season, the fishing season in the fall uh, after I went home. And so, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of different guys from a lot of different walks of life back then. And uh, I don't know. I, I, it, was, it was just a fantastic childhood. It, uh, you get to see stuff that, that a lot of people just never get to see as a young kid you're, and I just thought it was normal you know it's just what we did um, so I did that well I was on that I we'd go up to Bristol Bay uh, in the later years and so I was probably I was probably 10 years old 11 years old uh, so a couple years after my first year and we would tender and then I had a really good friend that was with his dad on a gill netter on a smaller uh, salmon boat, uh, actually on the Moby Duck. So it's an amphibious, amphibious uh, gill netter. Drives up on land, goes out in the water. Um, and so we would tender, and then I would jump over there the, at the very end for a week or two and do some scratch fishing. And we'd go beach combing, and we'd go four wheeling up in the tundra, and we'd go, you know, just adventure life. Who, who was um, your friend? Who? Uh, Chris Copra is the kid's name, and Dave Copra, his dad owned the boat, which he actually was the first captain of the Columbia, which is the boat that my dad was running at the time. So you guys kind of grew up together? We did, yeah. We grew up from a very young, like, since birth together. And so it was always super exciting when you, because there, there was no kids around really when I was up there those summers. Um, we weren't on land a whole lot. We were on the boat most of the time, and it was, um, it was fun, but once I saw a kid that I could play with as a friend that was you know that was even better mm -hmm. um and so i did that until i was 14 uh legal age to work finally <laughs> and so i uh, all without pay yes well except for that experience which is which is invaluable correct correct i actually ended up jumping over when i was jump over on the gill netter we had a couple big days once in a while scratch fishing you know the end of the season but we'd go set, sell to cash buyers and I remember Dave um, Copra, the guy that was running the boat and on the boat, handed me two $100 bills one time after we just, I mean, I think we ended up going dry and we were hauling, you know, 4,000 pounds of salmon through the mud. And I mean, we worked all day and I just thought, you know, that's just what you do, you know, but he, he handed me 200 bucks and I'd never seen 200 bucks in my life. You know, I just, and so from then on, I was hooked on gill netting. I, <laughs> I didn't think there was any money to be made with my dad. So I, uh, when I turned 14, I ended up going set netting uh, up in Naknek with uh, family friends who have since become really good lifelong family friends, a family. And so um, the wife ran four set net sites on the beach with uh, her daughters and some other guys that 
that helped him out. And uh, then the husband, uh, he ran the, he's been fishing drifting in, in Bristol Bay for since the, before there was even permits or anything. Um, and so I worked two years on the beach. Uh, which, which family set is this? Netting. Uh, Mel and Catherine Brown. Um, her f- grandfather, who she was raised by in Naknik, um, is a legend there. He's one of the oldest guys in Naknik. Um, he homesteaded area up in the t- national park before it was even there, so they still own land up in the national park. And um, Really, really awesome family. Uh, but I worked two years on the beach with her, and then worked three years on uh, on the boat with him after so that. So 14 to 16, and then? Yeah, and so right up till I was, um, let's see, 14 to 16, and 16 to 19 or 20 on the boat. And so the last, when I turned 18, I could start working on the Columbia as an actual hired crew member um, with Trident Seafoods. I was 18 years old, and so I could get hired. And so, uh, you know, Bristol Bay would get over and I'd still have this chunk of summer before I was to have to go back to school. Um, right then I was starting to go to college too. Um, and so I, I, I kind of went back and forth on that. Was I gonna go to college or was I just gonna fish full time? Uh, but I got, I don't wanna say pressured into it, but encouraged into going to school um, by both my dad and my mom and then also uh, Jim McManus who was was managing the boats at the time uh, kind of said well why don't you give it a shot um, we'll always have a spot for you in the summer and uh, see how you like it and, and go from there uh, so I would fish Bristol Bay and then I would jump on whatever boat was going out of Bristol Bay you know back to Dutch Harbor after Bristol Bay was done I would jump and catch a ride and go down and jump on the Columbia and fish the rest of the summer Pollock fishing um, and I did that for a couple years until one summer, you know, Bristol Bay was fun. It was really fun, but I wasn't there during the big years. We had a couple big fish years and the price was kind of bad. And um, it was great money as a 14 year old or 16 year old. But once once I was growing up a little bit, it uh, I missed like 10 Pollock trips or something because I was in Bristol Bay one year. And uh, you know, that, that that's a lot of money, a lot more money uh, for for that time of year and so uh, I just decided that I wasn't going to be able to to do Bristol Bay anymore, even though I loved it, and and so I started just Pollock fishing in the summer times, um, and I stuck with college. It was hard after the first like term of college. I thought I was done. I thought, you know, I I uh, it was different. I went to college in L.A., Los Angeles. I'm from a small town in Oregon, and so that that was a shock. And then what was your major? What were you? I majored in international business. And uh, I, I I didn't mind school. I was always decent at school. I was never uh, I didn't try too hard, which I, th- I think I probably should have tried harder. Um, but it's still it, it came really school came easy. Um, but it was it was just you know I looked at numbers. I was always a numbers person, and I looked at what my college professors were making a year, and I looked at what I was making just in the summertime fishing, and just went this is crazy. I shouldn't even be here, you know. But uh, then I got a girlfriend. <laughs> and I, I decided to stick around, you know, for the full year, and then that turned into, well, I might as well finish. And um, I did take a term or two off and fish during the winter, uh, just so I could pay for school, and uh, I didn't accrue a bunch of, of debt, uh, you know, going to school. I didn't want to graduate and have to pay a bunch of stuff off. And so <clears throat> I was able to uh, 
you know, fish when I, when I had the time and then go to school and I ended up finishing up there. And, uh, I met my, well, I met my wife early on, but we got engaged. Was uh, that the girlfriend? No, no, that was, that was, the, I grew up with, uh, with my wife, uh, went separate ways after we were really good friends in high school. Um, went separate ways in college. She went to, we went to different schools, different states, um, but got together right at the end of college, reconnected, um, got engaged right after college there. And uh, so when, when we got engaged, I decided I was gonna try to stay home. I didn't wanna be gone that much and try to be married. And, and so I uh, quit fishing. Um, we ended up getting married and moving to Utah of all places uh, is where I got a job and she had she, she got a job there and we uh, we liked it it was it was good it was a good community and a great a great spot to to live like lots of outdoor activity but uh, you know eight months into it um, Uncle Sam came calling from the year before you know and it's that age-long story of you, you can't quit because you owe it from last year so we uh, kind of looked at what what we owed in taxes and and it, it wasn't any, you know, it wasn't large by any means. But for us, when I when you go from making a bunch of money to making, you know, not much hourly at all, wage, yeah. you know, an hourly wage, it's uh, it's daunting. And so I kind of, we talked about it, and I called my dad and said, well, I might be coming back fishing, you know. And he said, oh, great, we got a spot. <laughs> so I think it took about a month, and I was I was back at. It. So I quit fishing for eight months. That was that was my uh, my try at staying home. Doing land thing. What were you? What were you doing on the land? What was your job? Uh, I was working in an office, doing uh, working for a company back that sells uh, Jeep parts, off-road vehicle parts. Um, I didn't mind the job. It was a it's good. It's kind job. of fitting though, because on your Facebook page, there's always yeah. <laughs> if you're if it's not something to do with fishing, yeah, it's something to do with um, hiking or off-roading in your truck or spot camping. I don't know. You got that canopy that drops right off the top of your yeah, Jeep. yeah. No, that's that's definitely our. Uh, I say our because it's me and my son now, but our uh, hobby, you know, we, we like to get out and go camping and off-roading and, and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I go back fishing on the Columbia and uh, we were going to have our son, might have been a year or two after that, but uh, we were in a position where I said, well, I want to work, I want to, I, you know, we're having a kid, I just want to work half time. I think we can make this work, um, you know, where we were living, what we were doing. Um, my wife's a dental hygienist, so she makes, you know, a, a good income and said, okay, I want to work half time. I want to be home more. And so I did that for quite a few years. I, I split with another guy and uh, just worked half time. Um, and then we got pregnant again and we're having another kid and kind of said, well, now I need to work full time. So I actually got off the Columbia. What was the staging of your kids? How long were you married before you get? I was married for two years, and then who and was then, born? And Harper, my Harper son was, was son was born, and then three years after that, my daughter was born, Emmanuel. And uh, we were living in uh, on the Oregon coast still at that time, and uh, so there wasn't room to work full time on the Columbia because it had full crew, and I was splitting with, with the the guy I'd been splitting with for a long time, and he said, well, he needed to work full time at that point too, and. And so I said, well, I'll see what's available. And there was a job on the Arcturus um, available. And so I, I got on there and, uh, and worked there for six years. 
That's um, a good. That's a great boat. That's good a crew. great boat. Beautiful boat. Um, Dakota Creek boat, 131 foot Dakota Creek boat. It's yeah. uh, really taken what care of well. Great, great it, crew, great it captain. It really is. Uh, um, in fact, uh, Woodchuck. Yeah. I started calling him Woodchuck because he was always uh, sanding in there. Oh and yeah. They, they treat that boat like a well. Most crews treat that their boats like a home. When you're yeah. on there for six or eight months a year. Yep. Yeah, I, I, when I got on there as the new guy on the boat, uh, you know, I think Scott had been on there for eight years, and he was the newest guy besides that. Um, I think Rob been on there for 16 years or something, and Nick's been on there forever twice, and, you know, Glenn's been on there since the since the Hendrix owned it way back, you know, before Trident bought it. Mm. Um, but, no, it's a, it's a great boat, beautiful boat. Um, just fished Pollock, strictly Pollock. Um, did very little of anything else, um, but no, that was that was awesome. And then uh, last year, last summer, I got off of there and uh, got onto a smaller boat called the Arctic Ram that uh, Trident had bought. Uh, it was originally the Hazel Lorraine, which is if you see the the boat now and as it was when they bought it it is absolutely two different boats way different um, sponsoned and not, then now a new house not even the same yeah sponsoned actually sponsored and lengthened a little bit and then a new house i mean it's it's a completely different boat and so uh i'm on there now and we do a little of everything we do pollock we do cod we do kodiak pollock we do hake down in oregon the boat works and works and works so workhorse um, it is yeah it is. They put a lot of fish on that boat, and it's it's great. It's great. Now that's your now. first experience down there getting hake, right? It is. Yeah, this summer we were fishing hake off of Oregon, and uh, I had done it as a kid one other time, and I was young. I might have been seven years old or something like that. Uh, my dad was running the Columbia, the boat that he ran, and he came in and grabbed me in Astoria, and we went back out and we were delivering. Uh, we were JVing, so we were catching bags of hake and transferring them over to a mothership um, and I did that for a couple weeks but that was my only I mean experience Seven, yeah. yeah I mean it wasn't real experience so this was my my first real experience uh, hake fishing which it's very similar to Pollock fishing you, you've almost not even had a choice about this 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 uh, path yeah you, you, you were born into it yeah no it was uh and I never really thought about it I guess I mean I did later I guess when I got married and all that um, but, you know, I graduated college and looked at all my friends that were getting entry-level jobs, and I had already had all this experience, and it was like, well, why would I do anything else, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you're, and you're a fully licensed captain now. Yes, yeah, I got a license. Um, I did school in, in my off time and, and all that. And, um, but, no, it's been a, it's been a great life. I think with once we have kids, it, it, it does change. It's harder. Um, I think a lot of the, you know, the hardest parts of the job are being gone. Um, and you weren't, you were not raised by the stereotypical fisherman. You were not raised by, uh, the partier, the, the drinker, the let's sample all the drugs kind of guy. Not, no. th not that that's what all fishermen do. It's the stereotype. Correct. Correct. But your father could not be further away from that. Yeah, no, he was always, and he always taught me that. He said, you know, don't, don't be a dumb fisherman. <laughs> so it was always, you know, be a, you're a professional and. And there are a lot of those professional guys, you know, throughout our industry. But I want to say, especially, in, you see them in the Pollock fleet. Um, you, you see guys that have been on the same boats for 35 years. 
Um, you know, they might have had a little wild side in their younger day, but they're, you know, they're just, they're professionals. It's what they do. It's their career. They, I mean, that's how they act. They don't act like they're going to go fish this one season and no idea what they're doing next. You right. know, um, it's, it's what we do. Um, but no, he always instilled that, that in me that, you know, be, so, be, be a, be a, you know, act as if this is your, your life, which it is, but be a professional at it. Don't, don't, uh, don't waste it pretty much. How old's Harper now? Harper is, he'll be nine here pretty quick next month. Does that mean he's running up to Alaska pretty soon? He would love to. He asks every day. Um, <laughs> he wants to go to Alaska very, very badly. And, uh, you know, the industry has changed. It's, uh, you know, it used to be so much family, so much family up there. And uh, there still is to a point, but it, in our in our fishery, there's less and less of it. Um, you see, if you're going you to go tender, though, that would be... Correct. Yeah, tendering would be great. Um, Casey McManus, he's taking Charlie up. And Charlie yeah. can't be more than eight years old now, yep, seven or yep, eight years old. I think they're similar ages, maybe a little younger. But he, uh, no, that'd be great. And that, we've talked about, you know, buying a Bristol Bay gill netter and, and doing more of a family thing in the summertime, and, um, and which might happen someday. But uh, he, uh, no, he definitely is chomping at the bit to go. So you see him doing it, too? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I mean, he's got a long, long time till he decides that and see how the industry goes. And, and, uh, I mean, I'll definitely push him to go to college too and, and get an education because I don't know. I mean, who knows, who knows what will happen tomorrow and right. to have something to fall back on is, is important. I think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, not, not just the education part of it, but you know, going away for four years and doing your own thing. And it's just a lot of growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, sticking with something and accomplishing it and so um, if he wants to be a fisherman then more power to him but give him give him all the options have you had uh, have you had very many scary experiences scary experiences um, you know I think I, I, I'm we have I mean there's been scary times but during those times it never seems like a scary it, I, don't know, I think like training and just you know reaction takes over and you know you can be standing waist deep in water on deck where if you look back at it you're like oh yeah that was that was a little hairy you know but at the time you just have a task at hand you're, you're fixing the problem or you're you know you know it, it's not so it, in the moment I've never been that scared on on the boat and I've been on a lot of boats I think I've been on I don't know I've been on a lot of the I've always been with Trident Seafoods, but I've been on most of their Pollock boats um, at one time or another. Um, but that said, they're all really good boats, and they're well kept up. And uh, it, you know, safety's always been a priority. Uh, all the captains I've worked for, you know, stress it. We drill, and uh, I think that's why it, at the moment it's not as scary, is because you're, you know, your training and what you drilled and everything takes over, and you just do it. And then later you can talk about it and be like, oh, that was kind of scary, but. I think the scariest, <laughs> the scariest I've ever been in Alaska was a couple summers ago. I was on the Arcturus, and uh, it, sometimes in the summertime, um, there's a lot of boats delivering, so we have a rotation. So we'll fish, and then we will get a couple days, I, I want to say days off, but you're working on the boat and do, doing projects and stuff, but you can't fish. you got to wait for the plant to catch up with the amount of fish they got, and then you can go fish again. So one thing we do if we get all our projects done is we go out and we go sport fishing. Um, and so 
we had a uh, it was a 14 foot rigid bottom inflatable, uh, great little skiff that we've had for a long time, kept it up, and uh, we'd go out and we'd go uh, fish for cod and and halibut and um, whatever we had a license for, and uh, we were out there uh, just outside of Dutch Harbor, and we were jigging uh, for cod and halibut, and. Uh, I was sitting up, we sit up on the rails of the inflatable as we jig and there was no, the engine wasn't running and uh, I've always had this irrational fear of big animals in the water. Always. I don't like them. Whales, seals, anything like that. I, I'm okay when I'm on the big boat, but if I'm in a skiff or something, like all the guys on the boat always made fun of me because I, you know, if I saw a whale, I just usually I'm running the kicker. I'll just turn and go the other way. You know, I just don't want to be around them. I don't want to be near them. I just, they can do their own thing and I'll do my own thing and we're fine. But that day we didn't see many whales. And it was weird because in the summertime up there, they're just everywhere. I mean, the humpbacks are thick. And uh, so we're sitting there jigging and I had caught a cod and uh, we'd caught plenty of cod that day. So I took it off my hook and threw it back and just started to set my line again. And it was like a car wreck. We got hit by a whale from the front of the skiff, um, and I don't think it was maliciously, but I think he was coming up for a breath. But he hit us so hard that I went, I did a backflip. I, I went out of the skiff backwards into the water, um, and I looked up at the skiff, and I thought the whole thing was coming over on top of me. There was two other people in the skiff at the time. Um, and so when the skiff didn't go over, it righted itself, um, completely full of water, though, from rail to rail. And uh, I, I got one foot, I'm wearing rain gear, and thank God I had a life jacket on, because I, I was laying in the water on my back with one foot up on the rail. And I look over, and all I can see is whale. This thing's laying on its side looking at us. Because he, he has no idea, I don't I think it shocked him. He has no idea that, like, what happened. Um, he came up for a breath, I never heard him breathe. Uh, he just rolled on his side and looked at us. And so this is, it's, it was one of the only times in my life I've had an out-of-body experience because this is like my worst nightmare, you know, this whale that I didn't want to be around is all of a sudden attacking me, you know, and so he, <laughs> I'm screaming at uh, Scott, the engineer on the Arcturus, uh, who's in the boat now, um, I'm screaming at him to get me out of the water because I, I got one foot up there and I'm trying to reach for anything, uh, and the way Scott is, Scott's laughing. And so <laughs> I can picture this whole thing going. Yeah. Down. Oh, it's just it's terrifying. I mean, this is it's just the worst thing that could have happened to me, I think. And so I finally get a hold of Scott and Scott's not a real big guy. And so I, I, I get a hold of him right by the collar and start to pull myself in the boat. And he doesn't have, you know, there's stuff floating everywhere. The thing's full of water like he doesn't have footing. And so he starts to come in after me because I'm pulling myself up. So I, I realize and stop before I pulled him in the water with me. Um, and so finally he gets his footing, pulls him back in the skiff. By then the, the whale had just sunk below the surface. And, uh, and I, you know, we're all, I'm just screaming, we got to get out of here. You know, we got to go. Like I'm freaking out. Uh, we had a, uh, a government observer in the, in the boat with us who we have to have government observers on uh, all Pollock boats 100% of the time. And uh, they're usually younger, just graduated college. Most of them are great people. Um, and so he, he wanted to come out fishing with, with us that day. So it's, yeah, sure. You know, come on out. But he, uh, I don't think he'd ever been like sport fishing before. And he was in the front of the boat when, when the whale hit it 
And so he flew all the way to the back of the boat and actually hit his nose on the back of Scott's head. And so everybody that's been hit in the nose, which is most people knows, you know, there's a lot of blood. It's exploded everywhere. So there's, I get in the boat and see all this blood and go, oh no, you know, someone's dying and his face is, you know, full of blood. And it, it, it ends up, he was fine. It was just, it wasn't, it was, he went to the clinic, was not a broken nose. He just got popped in the nose. Um, but he also lost his glasses. So he can't see and there's blood everywhere. And uh, so he's kind of in a, in a bad spot. And then Scott's laughing and I'm freaking out at this whale. And so I go to pull the, the engine to get out of there, the outboard, and uh, the whale broke the back fin off of it and then broke the shifting knob when he hit it because he, he actually hit the outboard on the way by. And so it, it, it knocked it into forward and I, I couldn't pull it to, to start it. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, freaking out, it, thinking this whale's going to hit us with his tail now or I don't know. But uh, finally get it shifted, start going. The, thank God we're in an inflatable or else we would have sunk because it was completely full of water. Um, but Scott goes, we're, we're getting out of there, draining the water. Scott goes to reel up the, the pole that I, I just, you know, just released a cod and put my, you know, flip my bail and let the, let the jig back down. And uh, all of a sudden it starts peeling out full speed on the surface like that. And he goes, we caught the whale, you know, and I said, just throw the whole pole over. I don't, I'm not stopping, you know, which we didn't actually hook him. I think it got tangled, but he, it popped off and he reeled it up and we got back and <laughs> we told, told Glenn, you know, it's like, he's like, what the hell happened? Cause there's blood everywhere. And, and uh, you're wet. Well, he's thinking somebody punched the observer in the face. And we're like, no, no, no one hit the observer, you know? He, he thought maybe somebody's trying to pull the outboard and, you know, knocked it because no one believed us at first. And finally, we stuck to the story. And then everybody started, you know, are you serious? And he was like, yeah, I'm <laughs> like, we got hit by a so whale. So you had that fear before the whale? I mean, oh, was, yeah. No, it was, it, they used to, everybody on Arcturus, all the guys made fun of me constantly about, because we were out in the skiff fishing, you know, some summers quite a bit because, you know, we, there's a lot of days off with a lot of slow rotation, you know, mm -hmm. and so uh, no, I always had that fear. If I saw whales, I wouldn't. I would go the other way. I didn't want to be around them. Didn't want to be near them. I just had no interest, you know. You to find yourself in the water. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going. I'm sure it hit us by accident. He just came. Oh no, up. he was after you. Well, guess. then that's exactly what went through my mind is that you know this whale's trying to eat me, <laughs> um, but I. The size of them up close, of a humpback whale, and the power behind that thing just coming up to breathe, it was absolutely incredible. You know, I mean, a lot of folks that haven't seen them in, in real life, they don't realize how yeah, big these things no, are. No, they are just, I mean, just massive, and especially when you're laying next to one. Is, uh, I mean, now that it's, everything's fine, I, I mean, it's a cool story or whatever, but it's it, at the time, it was just... The worst day. Yeah, I remember looking up at the skiff as it was coming at me and being like, this isn't real. This can't be real. This is my dream. You know, this is my nightmare that I've had, and I don't like it. <laughs> it was, but that was honestly the most scared I've ever been in Alaska in my fishing career. It's it pretty was, scary, actually. It, it was. It was. Some it was people scary. would be like, that was an incredible experience. Yeah, you know? yeah. We got back, and Woodchuck said, ah, oh, I never go fishing. I should have gone fishing today. You know, he wanted, he wanted to. But not me. I, I had no interest in that. Yeah. Um, but no, on the actual boats, you know, you get into hairy situations and stuff, but everybody I've worked with has been professional. The boats have been great. Um, I was never scared that we were going to roll over or sink or uh, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, you just, you know, you... You have stuff break. You have stuff that happens like that, but you just deal with it, and uh, and deal with it in the, the safest and most efficient way you can. What do you? Uh, 
obviously been going up since you were nine. You got to have a, a lot of really good experiences too. If you had to single one out, I mean, like being that clicking moment of it, uh, just being an awesome lifestyle. Would you have one in mind? I don't know if I could pick one for that, but part of the lifestyle. I mean, obviously being gone and when you have a family is 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 probably the hardest part of the job, like I had mentioned. But the flip side of that is when you're home, you're home. And uh, my wife was able to take quite a few years off from work when we had our kids. Um, and so when I get home, we were free to go wherever and do whatever. And so we were able to spend, you know, months in Mexico at a time and um, travel and do daily stuff that I think most people that work a nine to five don't don't understand. You know, you, you, they get two weeks off a year and here I am with a three and a half month block or four month block of time even when I was working half time I had to have even more you know and uh, and so that part of it is pretty irreplaceable especially it's when the kids a, are young it's kind of an exchange isn't it it is because the, the nine to five you might get to spend an hour with your kids a night mm -hmm. you know uh, maybe two if you're really lucky yeah um, and then the weekends but you got chores to do because you've been working a nine to five and haven't done the trash or mow the lawn or yeah and, and you're this, tired and but and, you're getting uh, all of your family time in one huge chunk yep yep and so the when we got internet on the boats now um and for most people when i say internet they're thinking you know like your cell oh, high phone speed and it <laughs> is not like that it is nowhere near that dial up 4.0 it's barely dial up but it's enough to you know message uh check your bank account um we can talk on the phone now uh, stuff like that from sea, which wasn't, you know, when, when I started going up as a kid, you'd have to find a pay phone, you know, out that's outside with broken out windows and try not to freeze to death if you wanted to call home for 50 cents a minute. I remember we'd, we, we would tie up in Sitka, right? Mm -hmm. And they'd pull out the phone line yep. and run it to the boat so we could plug in the phone. And I remember when they started doing that in Akatan, that was like the, that was deluxe then. Because yeah. you didn't have to go up to, to get on the phone. You just had to use your calling card, but who cares? I mean, that's fine. Yeah. But, uh. No, now we have, you know, full-time everything on the boat, which made having a life at home a lot easier. You can check in every day. You can, uh, you know, you know, message the wife and see how things are going with the kids. And, uh, do you guys use WhatsApp? We do. We that use, seems to be work anywhere. It, it, that came into the industry up there, and, uh, yeah, when nothing else will work, that will still work. Um, you can still get messages in and out. It takes very, very What's little WhatsApp, you can contact us at market.stories.net. <laughs> exactly. No, that's a, that's a, a it, great... It really does, though. Yeah. No, it does. And it, 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 it just is so nice to stay connected. It uh, Instead of calling, you know, once a week to check in and you try to get filled in on everything that's, you know, going on when you're at the dock, when you're trying to get stuff done, because whenever you get to the dock, you're always trying to get, you know, projects done or we... Offload this. Or yeah, put yeah. Or and so when you're running in and out, is the time that that you have time to to you know get some personal stuff done. And uh, so with the change of that, that was really nice, especially when then you got kids and you want to stay in contact with them. Yeah. And so I get uh, most of you guys contact me through WhatsApp. Oh yeah. It's it's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even the phone anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you have you used the phone portion of it? Yes. It and works it, better, doesn't it? It works fantastic. Even on really, really slow internet. Even sometimes when you can't connect to your email through this really slow uh, internet, you know, you can WhatsApp the phone me or uh, voice. WhatsApp voice, and it, it works great. I've had guys call me on it 
because they can't get through on the boat phone or they yeah. can't get through on yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it sounds like a WhatsApp uh, commercial. Well, it but does it, right it, now. It's, it it's really not. does. But they're, they're not sponsoring us at all yet. Uh, but, um, okay, so where do you see yourself in five years? Um, still fishing. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this for, I don't know, I haven't added up the years, but since I was nine, pretty much, I mean, I've, every single year with the school and everything. Still and how in the old are you time. now? I am 34 years old. So, um, you know, the, the next step is to, to start running a boat and, uh, it's like nobody wants to retire. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, you can do this. I mean, this is what people have been, these guys have been doing for, you know, since they were just like me, since they were young and, um, you know, running, running a boat, Pollock fishing physically, um, isn't too terribly demanding. So, um, as long as, you know, you still got your wits about you and everything else you can you know you can run a boat till you're you, into your later years um we've got some that are it oh absolutely absolutely years. um absolutely and they're they're great guys and i think that you know they've done it their whole life and they they don't want to they don't want to let it go because why would you i mean that's that's a big huge part of who you are um and uh they probably drive their wife nuts when they're home you know <laughs> so yeah. yeah i get it i totally get it but uh yeah that's the next step and uh and just yeah keep fishing i mean I'm, I'm sure that's what i'll what i'll be doing right so and and harper probably will too yes harper will be going up at some point he uh he is just waiting for that 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 opportunity there's some pride there though there's some pride in that family tradition you know oh absolutely um, he got to go out uh my dad uh ran the cornelia marie a couple summers ago um, for tendering just for the summer and they were down here uh, in seattle uh, doing shipyard on the boat, uh, repowering it and doing a bunch of stuff. And they went out for sea trials and Casey let Harper steer and run the boat out in the sound there. And, oh man, he, I got video of it. He was so focused, you know, and he's steering around boats and he still talks about it. He, he just, he can't wait. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. No, it is. It really is. Now the, the whole fleet though is a family. Yeah. You know, no, absolutely. Every, every boat. Yep. Yeah. A lot of guys don't, leave you know that people bounce around um some people go to you know different companies with different boats and then come back and um but no some people say they're quitting like i did for eight months and you'll see them you know eight months later um so i mean you i grew up with a lot of the guys you know i i grew up sitting on my dad's lap on the columbia you know talking to guys on the radio that some are are gone now um retired or or passed away but a lot of them are are still there you know, and uh, or their son's running the boat now, um, and so it, it's definitely like a family. You, you but but we're becoming an old family. Yes, our fleet is we're borderline ancient. There's yeah. some boats that have not had turnover in 30 years. Yeah, yeah, and those are great boats. You know, they, they got well, they something are, if they but want. But the minute that one of them goes, <laughs> they're all gonna go. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely aging. I mean, Pollock didn't really get started getting fished by us until the you know the, the later 80s is really when it, it took off and uh so most of these guys were young younger men back then um my age or a little younger um but they're still there they're still in the same boats doing the same thing um and so yeah the, it's definitely an aging it, there definitely needs to be younger we need to make an effort to get younger kids into the fleet so how do we do that or how do they do that that's a good question um, you know, and I, I've I mean, thought, you were no, six I, months old, I've thought, of, three times thought about it, you know, but back when I was looking at it, 
which I'm not that old, but even back, you know, when I started Pollock fishing with my dad, you know, in the early to mid nineties, you know, it, back when they all started, it how to get younger people into it was say, well, you know, I'm going to take my kid. Well, no, well, even if you, if, even if they had no, you know, fishing experiences here, look what you can make, you know, I mean, here's, here's 150 grand you can make in a year fishing. And back then it was like, I mean, late eighties, 150 grand is <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. And it's well, a lot of money today. It is, but it's not as much. Um, I have a lot of friends, you know, that I went to college with, um, that, you know, do very well now, you know, they put in their time and, and, you know, you can't buy a house for $50,000 anymore. Um, like you used to be able to. And so, um, I, I don't think that that alone is going to get younger people into the into the industry. I think there needs to be more of a push. You know, a lot of fishermen will get get down on me for this, but our fishery with the installation of IFQs quotas, individual fishing quotas, um, and the time we spend up there and everything, it's becoming more like a salaried job. And I'm not saying that it needs to go to a salaried job by any means. Um, cause that's so anti fisherman, you know, you got to work, Part of the joy you got to work coming. harder, you make more, you know, which is not really how it works anymore. Um, everybody, I mean, the good guys take pride in their boat and they're going to work hard no matter what. Um, that's just who we are and what we do, but you're, you have your own quota. So you're going to catch, you know, you're going to catch the fish you have. Um, it's not like if you get better fishing, you're going to catch more. Um, and so I think that, I think there needs to start to be some incentive if they want to keep guys around as long as the older guys have been around, you know, 35 years with the same company. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. There's a lot of hurt. I'm just talking, but it, you know, these guys look at different companies to work for the younger, younger kids and say, well, I can get, you know, benefit package with these guys and get some retirement and some insurance and stuff like that and we're all independent contractors um as of right now mm -hmm. and uh so i don't know i don't know exactly what it needs to look like but to get I, I think there needs to there needs to be like a future laid out before these younger younger okay some planning yeah i mean I, right I, right now if you if you quit today you've got what's in your account correct correct and uh I mean, that's the <laughs> the classic fisherman is, you know, behind on the IRS and hasn't put a penny away. And because you get these huge checks um, all, Party time. all at once. And, yeah, you know, that's the way it is. And luckily, I had a dad who, who again, the professional fisherman type thing kind of instilled in me. You know, you put away money on your own. You know, you got it. You got no one else is going to take care of that. So you got to do it. Um, and so it, it's been OK. But. Um, to get more young people, it's, it, I think it's got to be more than the allure of just, you know, huge paychecks. I mean, the, the pay is good. It, it'll still be there. Um, but it's got to be, you know, you can work 30 years of this job and, uh, and you're going to have, you know, you have a future here. You've got a, a whole career here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's really good because there is a ton of people that have been uh, on the same boats or with the same company for, you know, their entire career. And, uh, and that's both as as a boat and as a company that's really beneficial if you can keep the same good guys instead of this turnover all the time which there are boats and, and companies like that that get just constant turnover and those are not the boats you want to be on yeah so well, we're about out of time here but one last question do you eat pollock oh absolutely <laughs> you do no i do i eat pollock um 
I, it's, it's great. And I you know I can say that because I'm a Pollock fisherman, so definitely eat Pollock. But I, uh, it's de like we buy the the fish sticks for my kids. Well, Those I, are really good, and for, actually. And for me, um, because <coughs> anytime I had a fish stick growing up, it's like ninety percent breading and like no fish in there, or with no flavor. It like, was just nothing. like a like a yeah. jelly. Yeah, in yeah. There nothing in there. But uh, but we get now it's it's they're fantastic. And then they also made the Pollock burgers. Which I, me and my son love. Like those are, I I prefer them over the salmon burgers, honestly. Um, but no, it's it's a great fish. It, everybody gets kind of down on it sometimes because it's cheap. Because it's so well, it's, the, it's the new species. Well, it's, it's so the, it's so abundant, you know. But it's never going to be farmed. There's no reason to farm it. It's too abundant. So it's a naturally raised fish that's fantastic. I mean, um, compared to something like tilapia or something, it's just. Ugh. Way, way, far, put them in the same way, way, way far and above. Um, yeah. It's a lot like cod, very flaky. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like it. Before we wrap it up here, Gus, do you have anything else you want to, want to say or feel like you need to? I don't think so. I think that uh, just want to thank you for having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I yeah. do. Um, all right, guys, this has been another installment of Galley Stories. I, I do encourage you to like and share on Facebook. Um, maybe shoot us in an email at uh, mark at galleystories.net net as in fishing um enjoyed uh recording today for sure gus and i've been friends for quite a while he's become more like a brother than, than anything else so um we will uh see you guys next time thanks again gus yeah thank you <laughs>